0: Pray. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So, Lord Jesus, we gladly ascribe to you the honor that is due you this morning as the great Savior, the great King, the great Lord that you are, the one who purchased our redemption at the cost of your own blood. You rose from the dead, and you will come back to set all things right. Lord, we're groaning now. The creation is groaning. This world isn't what it's supposed to be right now, but you will fix everything perfectly at the right time. And so we wait for you and trust in you in the meantime. Thank you for the work of redemption that you've planned and carried out and will finish. You began a great work in us, and you'll be faithful to complete it. Thank you that you're working in us even now, both to will and do your good pleasure. Work in us this morning now as we open your word. Lord, give us ears to hear and hearts to follow what you call us to do. And I pray for anyone who's here this morning who doesn't know Christ. Lord, have mercy on them. Have mercy and grant them new life, new birth, that they would come to know you as the Savior that you are. I pray this in your name. Amen. Mother's Day is an opportunity to follow what Romans 13, 7 says. Render to all what is due them, honor to whom honor is due. Many people find it pretty easy to honor moms and those in that role. Our text for today calls us to honor all people, including some who might be more challenging to honor If you have your Bible, please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, as we continue our study in this New Testament letter together. 1 Peter chapter 2. The ESV study Bible has a note for this section. It says, the title is, Living as Aliens to Bring Glory to God in a Hostile World. Peter explains how believers should live as exiles amid a world that rejects their message. They bear witness to the gospel when they live in a way that pleases God. And so last Sunday, we saw that we are called to live distinctively from the way we used to live before God in his miracle of mercy called us out of our awful darkness into his marvelous light. And we are called to live distinctive lives in a culture around us it doesn't necessarily embrace what we believe. And verse 12 reminds us that as unbelievers observe our excellent behavior and observe our good deeds, they will end up glorifying God in the day of visitation. This morning we'll be looking at how believers are called to relate to different groups of people. So first, how do believers respond to those in government Authority. First Peter chapter 2, verse 13 says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority, or to governors as sent by him, for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. So to submit means to willingly place ourselves under their God given authority, to subject Ourselves to them includes obeying the laws, including traffic laws. Right? That's a temptation sometimes. Paying our taxes. Last Sunday in Sunday school, we saw the passage where Jesus calls us, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And all other civic responsibilities. So I got a summons to appear for jury duty on my anniversary So that's kind of stuff. So why do we comply with those kinds of things? And it's not just because you might get a ticket if you speed or you get in big trouble if you don't pay your taxes. Even unbelievers can be motivated for those reasons. We do these things, Peter says, for the Lord's sake. It doesn't matter whether or not we voted for the people in office or whether we agree with all their policies and decisions. It is ultimately for the Lord's sake. We submit to their authority as part of our willing submission to the Lord's authority. So you might be asking, are there any exceptions? Do we always submit to government authority no matter what? And the answer is no. We do not obey the government if that means we disobey God. So here are some examples that Peter would know. In Exodus chapter 1, the Hebrew midwives did not obey the king's command to kill the male babies. In Exodus chapter 2 and Hebrews 11.23, Moses' parents did not follow the king's edict to put their son to death. In Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow to an idol that was set up by King Nebuchadnezzar. In Daniel chapter 6, Daniel keeps praying to God even though King Darius had forbidden such prayers. And Peter himself did not cooperate with the powers that be in the book of Acts. So go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Beginning at verse 17, you may remember there was a healing that took place. The leaders are saying, we can't deny this has taking place. Everybody knows about it. And so in verse 17, they are saying, but so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name, namely the name of Jesus. And when they had summoned them, they command them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And then in chapter 5, 27 through 29, chapter 5, 27 through 29. When they had brought them, they stood before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And yet, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. So, if there is a clear choice between obeying God or obeying the state, if it's one or the other, the issue is already settled for us, isn't it? We know what we need to do, and we need to be ready to experience whatever consequences might come for obeying God's ultimate authority. But otherwise, in normal situations, we are called to submit to those in a government authority for the Lord's sake. A second reason in addition to doing it for the Lord's sake is given in verse 15 back in chapter 2. For, so there's directly connection. Here's a reason. Because such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Last week we saw in verse 12 that Christians were being slandered As evildoers, slander means to make false charges or misrepresent someone in order to damage their reputation. And we know from history that one of the false accusations that was made against the early Christians was that they were disloyal to the state. So Peter tells us it's God's will that by doing right, including submitting to government authority, such uninformed and misinformed accusations will be put to silence Live in such a way that no one will take such criticisms seriously. As part of being keeping our behavior excellent among those who do not know God. Next, we're given instructions about how to respond to various others. Verse sixteen and seventeen. Act as free men. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. So four short instructions. First, we're called to honor all people. ESV, honor everyone. Over in Titus chapter 2, verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 2, excuse me. Believers are called to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. So, we're called to have a proper respect and courtesy to everybody that we come in contact with because all people are created in the image of God. And part of our testimony as believers is treating all people with appropriate honor. So, I needed a reminder of that recently. Um, somebody had messed up my coffee order. Big, you know, life, first world problem here. But I needed a reminder that your testimony is at stake. And how you deal with that. And they're right. You know? You don't want to, you know, really chew somebody out and then, oh, here they are at church next week. Oh, hi. (laughs) I'm the one that chewed you out last week for getting things wrong. God loves you. I mean, so we forget that that's part of our testimony right here. Honor all people. Second, we're called to love the brotherhood. We are born again into God's family, we have a special love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Peter has already touched on that in chapter 1, but let me remind us of that. Chapter 1, verse 22, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart, for you have been born again. So see how he argues there? You've been born again, you're in God's family, you have these new brothers and sisters in Christ, Fervently love them. And then in chapter 4, he'll say it again. Verse 8, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. And then Galatians 6, I think has an interesting, that same combination of loving everybody and then a special love for believers. Galatians 6, 9, and 10 Galatians six nine. let us not lose heart in doing good. Why not? For in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, because that's true, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially those who are of the household of faith. So you see that combination? Treat everybody well, do good for everybody, love everyone, honor everyone, and especially Love the brothers and sisters. We're called to fear God. Fear is a deep sense of reverence and awe that is appropriate in response to who God is. So in Revelation 15, the song of Moses and the Lamb is great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty, righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord? And glorify your name. For you alone are holy, for all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So, this song of Moses the Lamb is Who wouldn't fear a God like this? Who wouldn't have a proper reverence and awe and respect and esteem for this God who's so great? And so Romans 13, 7, Render to all what is due them, honor to whom honor due. How much more is that appropriate that we would give God the honor and reverence that is due him as the great and glorious God that he is. And fourth, we are called to honor the king or the emperor. Do you know who was the emperor of the Roman Empire at the time Peter wrote those words? Nero. Do you know what he was like? He was a wicked, cruel ruler who persecuted Christians and martyred many of them. And yet, even someone as horrible as Nero was ordained by God to reign for 14 years. So that reminds us, God is in sovereign control over all things, including who is in a place of authority. Let me show you some other texts that say that go to Romans 13 verse 1 Romans 13 verse 1 every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities why for there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Go to the book of Daniel, chapter 2. Daniel, chapter 2. Verse 20. Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs he removes kings and establishes kings Daniel chapter 4 verse 17 Daniel 4:17 This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers and the decision is a command of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes. That is repeated three more times in chapter 4 and once again in chapter 5. And then last for now, John 19, verse 10 and 11. John 19, verse 10 and 11. So Pilate said to him, You do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. So to get the point, everyone is in authority was put there by God. It's part of his sovereign plan. When our son Ben was in the Air Force, he was not to speak badly of the commander-in-chief. As a member of the armed forces, he was to show a certain level of respect and honor for those above him in the chain of command, including the president. Even unbelievers who are part of the military are expected to do that. And Peter is saying, as believers, we are called by the one who is ultimate authority, to show appropriate honor to those he has placed in authority. Peter moves on from the responsibilities of Christian citizens and just Christians in general to the responsibilities of believers in the workplace. Back in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are Unreasonable. Well, since none of us here are slaves or servants, we might be thinking, um, this doesn't really apply to me. But roughly one-third of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves or servants of some kind, and virtually all of the work that needed to be done was done by them. Building buildings, working in the fields, cooking and housework, child care, teaching, and even practicing medicine were all done by servants or slaves. So, of course, there's differences between a first-century slave and a 21st-century employee, but there's some things we can learn from this verse. Verse 18 calls believers who work for someone else to have an appropriate submission and respect for those over them. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. That is repeated several times in the New Testament. Go to Ephesians Chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ not by way of eye service as men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 through 25. Slaves in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external servants as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done and that without partiality. Go to First Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6 verse 1. All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that The name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. So notice the motivation here. It's not, you better do what the boss says so you don't get fired. Or you need to follow it because you will get a bad reputation if you don't. It's about God's reputation. The truth about God, the credibility of our doctrine, in other words, what we believe and teach about who God is and what he is like and how he deals with man through Christ. All that's at stake in how we treat our boss at work. According to 1 Timothy 6:1. Titus chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Titus 2, 9 and 10. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. Why? So that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Adorn means to enhance the appearance of, to make more beautiful or attractive. In other words, the example the dictionary gave was, flowers adorned the bride's hair. Well, we obviously can't make the doctrine of God our Savior any more beautiful than it already is. The truth about God, especially in his role as Savior through Christ, his complete rescue for our complete ruin in sin, there's a beauty to that that we can't add to. But we can enhance its beauty in the eyes of others. And Paul tells Titus the way we can do that is through our conduct and attitudes at work. So the Bible is so practical, isn't it? It knows many of us will be working at least 40 hours a week, Monday through Friday or Saturday. And so it's like, yes, by all means, honor God when on Sunday, worshiping with your brothers and sisters of Christ, and honor God all week long in the workplace too. And call attention to him and his character and the doctrine of salvation and everything else It's all happening while you're at work doing whatever job you have. And the Apostle Peter is realistic about the kinds of bosses that we might have. Some are good and gentle, and if you have a boss like that, you're blessed. But many other bosses are unreasonable, or ESV has unjust. The word Peter uses is scoliosis, which gives us the word scoliosis. My brother just told me this week his granddaughter had been diagnosed with scoliosis. It means she's got a curve in her back. It's not straight. It's crooked. And Peter says, you might have a crooked boss. But he says it doesn't matter if he's crooked or not what your boss is like. We're still called to submit with all respect. So this is what Jerry Bridges writes. Our problem is not in understanding these principles, but in applying them. When I was a young officer in the Navy, I served on a small ship under a commanding officer who was very difficult to work with. The man had almost no people skills, and none of the officers, including me, respected him. Then, one day, in the course of Bible study I encountered 1 Timothy 6 1. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. I wasn't exactly under a yoke of slavery though sometimes I felt I was. In any event the principle of respecting one in authority over me was impressed upon me by the Holy Spirit applying his word to my heart. I was convicted of my sinful attitude and immediately began to take steps to correct it. And verse 19 and 20. For. So this. Giving a reason of why we submit. Even to unreasonable. Unjust. Crooked bosses. For this finds favor. If. For the sake of conscience. Toward God. A person bears up under sorrows. When suffering unjustly. For what credit is there. If when you sin and are harshly treated. You endure it with patience. But if. When you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. So this, these verses mention two kinds of suffering we might experience in the workplace. One is deserved. We did something wrong, and we experience negative consequences as a result. There's no credit or blessing in that. You're not being persecuted. You're simply getting in trouble for making bad choices. But sometimes it's undeserved sufferings. Suffering for doing what is right. We live in a fallen world, we have fallen bosses and fallen co-workers, and so it might end up that we suffer unjustly. So as a Christian seeking to honor God in all things, including your job, You refuse to do anything unethical or questionable at work. Your boss asks you to lie for him. You don't lie. Well, if you don't lie for your boss, he might threaten you. He might fire you. He might, who what, knows what. But you might experience some pushback and some negative consequences for doing what's right. And Peter says twice, when that happens, this finds favor with God. You will be blessed and rewarded by God for your integrity. He says it again in chapter 3, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, doing what's right in God's sight, you are blessed. He, and in verse 17, it is better if God should will it that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. And of course, very big echoes of what Jesus said in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5.10, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So one way to summarize these verses would be this. Our job is to do what is right. God's job is to see we come out right. Our job is to do what's right. God will see that we come out right. The ultimate example of that is Jesus himself. And Lord willing, next Sunday, we'll look at 21 through 25, which are a continuation of this discussion. But he says, You have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin or was any deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So Peter says that's the example we're to follow when we suffer unjustly. Look at how Jesus d- suffered unjustly. Not just as an example, but then the next verse is about bearing our sins in his body on the cross. But uh, again, Lord willing, that's next week. <laughs> so come back or listen online next Sunday. As we close, fallen human nature doesn't like anyone, including God, telling us what we can or cannot do. We are all rebels against God's rightful authority, and we fully deserve the just consequences of our disobedience, namely death and hell. But God has provided a way for rebels like us to be rescued. If the Holy Spirit is convicting you that Things are not right between you and God. First, confess, I have rejected God's authority. I am like the people in Job 21 who say to God, Depart from us. We do not even desire the knowledge of your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? All of us have hearts like that. We're born with hearts like that. Why should I listen to God? Why should I obey God? Why should I follow God? No, thank you. The Bible says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And turn from your rebellion. Turn from trying to make things right by something you can do. This last week I was in a conversation and I asked someone, if God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? And their first words were, I tried. And so I tried to share that according to Isaiah 64, 6, Even our best efforts and our best attempts are not good enough. In fact, they're as unacceptable as filthy rags to a holy God. So the only hope is to trust completely and only in Jesus to rescue from sin and restore you to God. When we get to chapter 3 of 1 Peter, he will say, Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in other words, in place of the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. Jesus' death on the cross as a substitute is the only answer for our sin problem. Nothing else will put away our sin. And his resurrection for the dead show he conquered sin and death and hell. He lives forever right now. And Hebrews says he's able to save completely all who come to God through him. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you again for the miracle of salvation that many of us have experienced. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. You made us alive. We were guilty rebels, and you forgave us. We had hearts of selfishness and rebellion, and you gave us new hearts, new willingness and ability to obey instructions that we read in First Peter and the rest of the Bible. And so we just thank you that you're the one who enables us to do what you call us to do. Apart from you, we can do nothing. We can't honor mothers on Mother's Day or honor anybody else the way we're supposed to unless you work in us. And so we ask for that. We ask for your grace to do all the things you've called us to do as your people. And I pray again for anyone who's not experienced your salvation yet. That they would see their great need, their desperate need of a Savior. And that they would flee to Jesus as the only one who is all sufficient to be a Savior. It's in his mighty name we pray. Amen.